Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin. From all of us here at Renewal Ministries, we hope you are enjoying a grace-filled Christmas season and are looking ahead with joy to a new year. After a little hiatus last week to talk about the Incarnation, we're excited to bring you part two of Faith That Overcomes the World. And here is your host, Ralph Martin. Okay, let's look a little more closely now about what response we need to make to the mercy of God in sending us his only son. John chapter 6, when people asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus told them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What does the Father really want us to do? He wants us to believe in the one whom he sent because the one he sent is the perfect image of God. You know, everything was preparation for him. You know, everything was imperfect before him, but now we have the perfect image of God set by the Father. What does God the Father want the human race to do? Believe in the Son. You know, Father Francis Martin says, the root sin of the world is unbelief. And we just kind of slide over that. It isn't just particular sins, it's unbelief, not believing the word of God, not surrendering to the word of God, just like it started right there in the garden. Losing our confidence in the truthfulness of God's word. Mark chapter 16, and Jesus said to him, this is the end of Mark's gospel, Mark 16, go into the whole world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We hear it, but we don't hear it. We hear it, but we don't hear it. The new evangelization is not just about getting people more active in the parish. It's not just about people getting back to to mass, although that's a good thing. The new evangelization is about getting people saved getting people to believe again, getting people to repent, getting people to obey, getting people joined to Jesus as his disciple. We just don't want to kind of stir things up with programs. We want to lead people to conversion, to discipleship, to salvation. Pope Francis lovingly repeated this basic truth during his first Good Friday Way of the Cross. He said, in judging us, God loves us. If I embrace his love, then I am saved. If I refuse it, then I am condemned. Being condemned is the opposite of being justified. We're justified by the sacrifice of Christ and our response to it in faith. We're condemned, lost, perishing when we don't accept that sacrifice and respond to it with with faith and love. Right after John 3.16, there's really some other pretty darn exciting stuff in this chapter and lots of other chapters. We won't do them all tonight. John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, not to say the hell with you, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed 
in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Immediately before John 3.16 is another interesting verse. John 3.13-15. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It isn't just like, oh, great eternal life, oh, great mercy. There has to be a response of faith. We have to say, Lord, I believe. Lord, thank you. Which implies also repentance. And this amazing chapter 3 concludes, verse 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. How many times do we have to hear this? How many times does Jesus have to say it? And yet, some people have never heard it. Because they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. Because they've hardened their hearts against the word. And so they don't hear the word. There's a lot could be said there, but I won't. This is the consistent teaching of Jesus. John chapter 6. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. Goes on in chapter 10. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Who gets eternal life? Those who follow the Lord, those who hear the voice of the shepherd, those who are following the shepherd get eternal life. You know, so we want people to have eternal life, right? We got to tell them about the good shepherd. We got to pray for them to find the good shepherd. We got to pray for them to hear the good shepherd. We got to bring them to the good shepherd. Like, like Andrew brought Peter to the Good Shepherd. We need to bring people to the Good Shepherd so they can begin to hear his voice. And this is not just the message of Jesus. Of course, it's the message of the apostles. Acts chapter 13. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted what was spoken by Paul and reviled him. We're, we're, we're going to be participating in the suffering of Christ. We, we are. I mean, Christian culture is collapsing. The hostility of the evil one is, 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 is winning ground. Uh, it's decision time for Catholics, and it's going to be very, very hard. It's going to be very, very hard. For many, many years, we, we felt like there was a nice harmony or a reasonable harmony between the church in America or the church in Canada. It's not there anymore. There's, there's, there's a division opening. Society is casting off its honor of God, its respect for the Ten Commandments, its, its, its respect for the church, and, and gathering mighty power is, is almost like a supernatural power, a negative supernatural power that's driving people to start to look at Christians with hatred. And, and 
God, this is all under the providential hand of God. This is all under the hand of God. It's all for the purification of the church and the salvation of the world. But tough times are coming. And we have to keep our confidence in the goodness of God, the truthfulness of his word, and his providential care for us. So, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted what was spoken by Paul and reviled him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you, since you, since you thrust it from you, and judge yourselves thereby as unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God, and as many as were destined to eternal life believed. Here's another tough, tough passage here. What does it mean to not be worthy of eternal life? What does it mean to be destined or ordered to eternal life? Well, if we take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll we'll get some insight into that. First of all, the Catholic Church has ruled out as a heresy the doctrine of double predestination, which, which says that God creates some for damnation and some for salvation. The Catholic Church says, nope, that's not right. God creates nobody for damnation and desires that all human beings be saved. But what's this about some being unworthy of eternal life and some being destined for eternal life or ordained for eternal life, depending on the translation? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's where Paul talks about end times. He he talks about the Lord's not going to return before the mass apostasy happens. Apostasy, by definition, is the rejection of faith on the part of those who once had faith, and that the return of the Lord is not going to happen until a restrainer that currently is restraining the evil one is taken away, and this like unrestrained evil begins to have its, have its way. So then he says, The coming of the lawless one by the activity of Satan will be with all power and with pretended signs and wonders and with all wicked deception... There's the cunning serpent again. For those who are to perish, some translations for those destined to perish, for those ordained to perish. Who's destined to perish? Nobody's predestined to perish, but listen to this. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. People destine themselves to destruction by refusing to love the truth. And so be saved. Therefore, God sends upon them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false, so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. Here's another tough thing. God sent a strong delusion on them. We're going to have to take a look at Romans 1 to to find out what that means. But before we do that, we're going to take a look at Sirach 15. We're talking about the mystery of freedom here, the mystery of choice. One of the things that's happened in our society is we say, nobody's responsible for anything. Therapy will take care of anybody's problems. Nobody's responsible. You can't find responsibility. Nobody's responsible. That's not how the Lord looks at it. You don't have to calculatingly say in your mind, I'm going to reject the truth and love falsehood. But deep in the recesses of our soul, 
this choices and decisions that are being made, this light that's being turned away from or light that's being turned towards, this darkness that's being welcomed. That's what Scripture says when people with itching ears look for teachers to tell them what they want to hear. There's culpability there. There's responsibility there. There's free choice being made, although it doesn't, it doesn't come to the level of, I'm going to give myself to false teaching because that's what I want to hear. But that's, that's, that's the decision that's made in the core of a person's being. So this is what Sirach 15 says. God in the beginning created human beings and made them subject to their own free choice. If you choose, you can keep the commandments. Loyalty is doing the will of God. Set before you are fire and water. To whatever you choose, stretch out your hand. Before everyone are life and death, and whichever they choose will be given them. What about this God sending a strong delusion on those who don't love the truth and turn away from salvation? Romans chapter 1. You know this passage. It is so relevant. It is so insightful. And it will also give us some insight into why the strong delusion comes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men. You don't hear language like this, do you? You don't hear wickedness. You don't hear judgment. You don't hear rebellion. You're okay, I'm okay, but I'm not okay, and you're not okay without Christ. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, his eternal power, his divinity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. I mean, when you look up and see the sky... When you, when you look down and see green grass, when you see a red cardinal, when you see a, a gold, goldfinch, uh, when you see a baby, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, God is speaking to us in the beauty of the creation and the intricacy of the creation. He's, he's, he's speaking to us, but we can get dull to that voice too. Or we can hear it and not want to acknowledge what's being revealed to us in it. This has all been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. There's a perception of God that's met not with thanksgiving or worship or desire to know more. There's a perception of God that is met with rebellion and rejection. For though, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became foolish in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. I like to add this, and they thought they were so darn smart. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is, this is it. I mean, we're living in an insane world where people are claiming to be wise, and they're utter fools. Utter fools. 
rejecting God, rejecting salvation, rejecting the living waters, rejecting eternal life. They think they're so smart and they're fools. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling the immortal man, birds, animals, reptiles. They, they, they think they were above it all and they became lower than it all. They thought they were superior human beings and they're degenerating into animals. Such a low view of human life is becoming pervasive in our culture. Like we're, we're, we're treating, we, we think people are no more capable of anything than the animals. We're treating people like technological animals. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He said, you've turned away from the light. You've turned away from the grace. You've turned away from the healing that could have brought peace to your soul and health to your body and order to your relationships. You're turning towards disorder. You're turning towards darkness. You're turning towards perversity. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You know, they're worshiping education. They're worshiping higher degrees. They're worshiping sociological studies. They're worshiping the best opinion of of social scientists. They're worshiping the work of man's hands which is empty in so many ways. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped to serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, as a consequence of fundamental choices, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. The men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. Rather than their minds being filled with thoughts of what's good and beautiful and true. Their minds were filled with base thoughts and dishonorable conduct. They were filled with all manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I mean, our culture's trying to separate the family. Our culture's trying to liberate children from parents and, and, and make them make them. Victims of the state. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, deep down they know what they're doing. Deep down, every man's instinct knows it's not right to to take your neighbor's wife. It's not right to do unnatural sex. It's just not right. They, deep down, they know it, and they have to suppress their conscience to do it. And they know God's just decree that those who do these things deserve to die. And they not only do them, but approve it in others. The pressure to approve 
base conduct is growing. People not, us, not only want us to accept and be tolerant of other ways of life, they want, to say, they want us to say other ways of life are, are good. They want us not even to think that there's anything wrong with what God says is deserving of death. They, 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 they want to force us to say, oh, that's good. We can't say that. And people aren't going to like it. Preaching the truth isn't easy. It never was, and it never really will be. And for a long time, different parts of the truth haven't been preached. But they need to be. Acts chapter 13, the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit because they were counted worthy of suffering for Christ. It is a privilege to be allowed to follow in the steps of the Master. It really is. There's a text in, in 1 Peter that says, it's been given to us not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. And we don't have to be afraid of that. The Lord is never going to ask us to do something that he's not going to give us the grace to do it. He, he perfectly knows where we're at. and He just knows us. There's nothing he's going to call any of us to that he isn't going to give us the grace for. So we don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't have to be afraid about what might happen to us or might what happened to the church or what might happen to the world. All we have to do is get up each day and try to do what we're supposed to do that day. And, and the good shepherd will lead us and guide us where we're supposed to be. As Christian culture collapses, we're again facing a situation that's more similar to what the early church had to face than anything we've known in our lifetime. We've, we've been sort of gotten to a peacetime mentality, but the, the cover's being ripped off and the war that's been going all the time now is, is unmistakable to see. And I'd like to almost end, not quite, but almost, with this passage. Because I keep running into people who are really disturbed, who are really in anguish about what's happening to their children and grandchildren, who are really in anguish about what's happened to the kids they sent to Catholic schools and what they've come to believe and how they lost their confidence in Scripture and lost their confidence in the truth of the faith and are disobeying the Word of God and have set off on a path leading to destruction. The, 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 the anguish of soul that is so prevalent. It, it, I don't think there's a family that doesn't know it. I don't think there's a family that doesn't know the pain. This is from Second Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as that there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destructions, and many will follow their licentiousness, <clears throat> and because of them, the way of truth will be reviled. Many are going to be misled by false teachers and false prophets, and the way of truth will be reviled. People will be mocked who believe the word of God. People will be mocked who follow Jesus. People will be mocked who refuse to say that vice is virtue and virtue is vice. 
or worse than mocked. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. But from of old, their condemnation has not been idle and their destruction has not been asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven other persons, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction and made them an example to those who were to be ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the wicked, for by what that righteous man saw and heard, I'm going to tell you what he saw and heard in just a minute, For what that righteous man saw and heard as he lived among them, he was vexed in his righteous soul day after day with their lawless deeds. What did Lot see and hear that vexed his righteous soul? We read about it in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. You know the story. An outcry comes to God about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord is sending angels to destroy the city. Abraham says, hey, what if there's 40 righteous people, 50 righteous people, would you save it? He got the Lord down to 10, but there weren't 10, so the angels are going to carry out the destruction. Lot is living in the city, Abraham's nephew. Genesis chapter 19 tells us what happened. The angels, disguised as human men, visited Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot met the angels in the city square and urged them to stay at his house. They said, no, we'll stay in the town square. He said, you don't want to stay in the town square. You better get into my house. The angels agreed. The Bible then informs us, quote, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot said, no. And then, I won't go into all the details. And then the men said, stand aside, we're coming in. The angels grabbed Lot back inside the house, closed the door and blind the men. It takes Lot out of the city. What Lot saw and heard was the parading of gross immorality. What was pressing in on him. And one of the main reasons why the city was destroyed, because of the total perversion of God's purpose for creating men and women, male and female. The purpose of human sexuality. We are living in a culture that's knocking on our doors and saying, we don't want you to believe there's anything wrong with what we're doing. And we're going to come and find out who, who's standing against us. And we're going to destroy them. People are having their businesses destroyed. People are having sons and daughters taken away from them by lies and peer pressure and false teaching. We're up against it just like Lot was up against it. And we need to ask the angels to help us. 
We need to ask St. Michael to come to our assistance. We need to ask our guardian angels to surround us. We need to ask God to send power from on high. We really need a new Pentecost. We really need, I, I, I remember reading the last volume of C.S. Lewis's trilogy, the name was That Hideous Strength, and it's just a little band of people, and they're just living together at a place called St. Anne's Manor. And the, the technological evil, the, the whole society is so powerful, uh, crushing out human life. And this little group of people just prayed for power from on high. And power from on high came to them. And what seemed like an impossible evil to defeat was defeated. I don't know the timing of things, but I know that we're up against it, just like Lot was up against it for really many of the same reasons. So I'm going to end here by saying a few more things about faith. The kind of faith that saves us isn't just, oh yeah, I believe in God. It's an obedient faith. It's a faith that obeys the word of God. As Jesus said, it's not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, who's going to get into the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my Father. It's a faith that obeys Jesus. It's not just a wishful thinking faith. It's not just a feel-good faith. It's an obedient faith that conforms our life to the word of God. It also means real repentance. Lots of texts here from repentance I'm not going to mention, but basically this is the message. Jesus came into Galilee after John was arrested, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And that's exactly what the apostles preached. I have a dozen texts here. This is what they preached. They proclaimed the gift of Jesus. They proclaimed the mercy of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus. They proclaimed the hope of eternal life. And they invited people to believe and to obey and to repent. And if they weren't baptized, to be baptized and partake in the Eucharist. It's really important that we're clear about the truth of God's word. It's really important that we're clear that only one thing is necessary, the salvation of souls. Life is very, very short, and only one thing is necessary. We have to ask God to give us the grace to make the decisions in our own life that lead us into closer and closer union with him, but we also have to look for every opportunity to share with those that we love the truth of the gospel. Now, I know how hard that is. We don't have to be like a bull in the china shop. We don't have to go to the next family reunion and say, repent, the kingdom of God is here. Although that, that, that might not be a bad idea sometime. If the Holy Spirit's moving you to do it like that, do it like that. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to share with a, a son or daughter or a cousin or a sister or brother, you know, about, hey, hey, where are you at with the Lord these days? And they're going to say, I don't want to talk about that. You say, well, I just want to show you what, what Jesus says about how we can be happy, and maybe you'll get half a sentence out about what Jesus says about that. And they say, I don't want to hear about that. Okay, so what you do is you pray, you fast, you just intercede to God for them. You say the divine mercy chaplet. You ask God to have mercy on them. And then a little, a little time goes by and you go back again. You say, you know, uh, look, at what, look at what Scripture says here. Look, look at what Jesus is telling us about, about who goes to hell and who goes to heaven. They say, I don't want to hear it. It's okay, you know, just a little time goes by, more prayer, more fasting. 
You, you, you let them know that you love them, but you never can let them manipulate you into saying that if you really love me, you'd approve what I'm doing. You never can go there. You have to say, I love you, but I'm really concerned about where you're going to end up if you don't repent. I'm really concerned about where you're going to end up if you don't believe the word of God. I'm really concerned about where you're going to end up if you reject the sacrifice that Christ has made for the forgiveness of your sins. I love you, but what you're doing is leading to hell. You're judging me. No, I'm not judging you, but I'm giving you the opportunity to turn back before it's too late. I'm giving you the opportunity to hear the truth about what will lead you to happiness in life, this life and happiness in the next. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm hoping against all hope you don't go to hell. But if you do these things, Jesus says, you're going to go to hell. Anyway, just my little suggestion about how to deal with this in family situations. Thank God for God. Thank God for the word of God. Thank God for the truth of the gospel. Thank God for its clarity. Thank God for its strength. Thank God for its purity. And thank God for his grace and his sacrifice. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. If you are enjoying this podcast, we invite you to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or review, following or subscribing to this podcast, or sharing on social media. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.